As we start our Overwhelmed series, I could not help but think, like you like me, we have been inundated, we have been surrounded by, we are almost drowning in media coverage of things that are happening in Baltimore, things that are happening overseas. We have earthquakes, we have violence, we have riots. All of these things, that, that it seems like it's 24-7, always on us. Folks, the days are getting darker. And the days are drawing evil. And we are actually surrounded by evil, almost to the point to where, where we are overwhelmed by evil. If you just try to, you cannot take it all in, can you? When you sit here and think about where we were and where we are and where we are going. My question to you this morning is, have you ever felt overwhelmed by something? I would think most everybody in here would, whether it be life in general or schoolwork or uh, health problems, you name it. We all have things that overwhelm us. Do you feel overwhelmed today? Being overwhelmed makes us face the harsh reality that we cannot handle all that life throws at us on our own. I raised my hand. I admit it. I thought the same thing. That when I am overwhelmed, there are moments where I think, I cannot take one more call, one more bad news, one more news report. We become overwhelmed. And being overwhelmed taps directly into our human instinct of what they call fight or flight. Our bodies naturally have an instinct to where when we get sick, when we get in danger, when we get in a crisis, we will either fight to get out of it, our body, even the chemicals, everything in it, will fight for our lives. Or sometimes we'll flight. We'll just run away and get away from it. We will run away when we are overwhelmed, or we will dig in our heels, anchor down, and put all that we have into it. This morning, maybe it's for you, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a health scare, maybe a relationship that's overwhelming, or financial bills where the bills outweigh your month. And maybe it is school drama. If you're still in school, I mean, come on. We hear all the time about, uh, whether it be high school, college, middle school, elementary school, drama, drama, drama. Reminds me of the old uh, Brady Bunch where uh, one of the sisters was, I think it was Jane, complaining that everything was about Marsha. She said, it's Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Everything is all about, I mean, it's just drama everywhere. Maybe you're overwhelmed by it. And it's not just for kids. Adults suffer drama as well. And over the next few weeks, our Overwhelmed series will actually be looking at key areas in our life that tend to get overwhelmed. And we're going to see what God's Word says about that subject, being overwhelmed in the Bible. And many have used the phrase, God won't put more on you than you can handle. You ever heard that phrase? You ever used that phrase? It's not biblical. It is our 
we are trying to wrap around why bad things are happening to us, but the truth is that is unbiblical. The reason it is unbiblical is let me show you something. Everybody quotes 1 Corinthians 10.13 as the verse that means that. But as you look at 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he also provides a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. He will either give you escape or in a way out. Now, when we look at this verse, I want you to understand the context to which it is written. He is saying that you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. But there is a difference between being tempted and what weighs on you. The baggage that you carry. And the truth is, is that God does put more on us than we can bear. So why does he do that? So that when we are overwhelmed, when we have got more on our backs than we can take, we will run to him. That is why he puts more on us than we can bear. So if you believe you have the weight of the world on your shoulders this morning, I want you to understand, with the weight of that burden, God is screaming his love for you at the same time. And when we are overwhelmed, it brings us to what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. Do you know what a crisis of belief is? That means at some point you say you're a Christian, at some point you say God has got this, at some point you agree that yes, God is with me, but at some point you have to act on that belief. You have to say, okay, I am going to jump out and do this. I don't understand what's going to happen, but I know that you're with me. At some point, it's going to cost us something. If you are overwhelmed today, I want you to understand you do not have to be, but you have to make the choice to not be burdened. Well, today we look at the fact that we are overwhelmed by evil in this world. Uh, the recent conflicts between races, police, offenders, earthquakes, moral lapses, it seems as though the world is spinning out of control. And uh, if we're not careful we will forget one very single important truth. This truth is right now, God is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? It means God is in control. We used to sing it as a kid. He's got the whole world. What? In His hands. We are still in His hands. And I want to show you this truth here. Adrian Rogers Put it best. He said, Satan is sinister and God is sovereign. Satan is sinister, but God is sovereign. We live in an evil, fallen world, but as evil as we get and as crazy as we get, and now, I mean, years ago, I mean, come on, before we had 24 7 news networks, wasn't it great? You learn who got shot at 6, and if you miss it, you get it at 11. If you miss it then, you pick it up in the morning. But now they run it over and over and over again. And some of the things that are getting coverages nowadays that they call news. We're overwhelmed by evil. 1 John 5 verses 18-20 through say that we know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him 
and the evil one does not touch him. In verse 19 it says, We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. We can admit as a church, we can admit as a Christian, God even admits it, that Satan is the ruler of this world. He is like a dog barking, snarling, but folks, God's got him on the leash. And I don't know about you, but I, especially when I was younger, a, a, a barking dog would, would intimidate me. But if they were on a chain, I'd be okay. But folks, right now, Satan is barking. He's intimidating. He's showing his teeth. Just, just, just scared and intimidating the mess out of us. But God's got that leash. I don't know about y'all. My dog, he likes to plow. I, I, if any of y'all need gardening, I'll hire him out. He will plow a row. Just like, I mean, he's just, he's got that down. But <laughs> i got to hold him back. And, and it, it takes all I can to hold him back sometimes. And I'm sure God does the same thing with Satan. But at one day, God's just going to go. You think it's bad now. Oh, I don't want to be here when that happens, when he lets that loose that leash go. But we know that God is sovereign. And the first point I want to make tonight, or this morning is, is that we are overwhelmed because we are fallen. We are fallen. Let's look at Micah chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. It says, Woe to those who dream up wickedness and prepare evil plans for their beds. At morning light they accomplish it because the power is in their hands. They covet fields and seize them. They also take houses. They deprive a man of his home, a person of his inheritance. What this passage is talking about here is talking about those that are wealthy and those that have power taking advantages of other people. Now, I understand that we have a right in America to demonstrate. We have a right in America to express our opinion, even if it is not what everybody agrees with. But when you see the looting, how is stealing an iPhone from a CVS advancing your cause? Or how is, as a police officer, joining in and throwing the bricks back to the people that are throwing it to you? Look, I'm not here to make a political statement on who's right and who's wrong. But what I'm saying is, is when you see looting, when you see evil that is on the TV, when, it, God forbid, it might happen in our backyard, we are surrounded by people that are fallen and want to get something over on somebody else. You want to talk about looting. Do you remember back when Katrina hit New Orleans? I, listen, not everybody in here is going to be necessarily a bad person and do something that's going to be against the law that will throw them in jail. But I'm here to tell you, our natural state, our default, where we go to, we can do good things, but our default is fallen. Is We are not inherently good, regardless of what the movies tell you. We, there's, there's two reasons that that happens. Number one is that we have deified ourselves. We have deified ourselves. What does that mean? Is we have made ourselves our own God. We have made ourselves our own God. This goes, you can track this all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 5 where 
the serpent is talking to Eve, and he says, In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and what? You will be like God. You will be like God. That is the lie that Eve took, that, 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 that of course God wants me to be like Him. Folks, listen. Up here. When we put ourselves on the throne of our lives, we make ourselves an idol, and God will not stand for that. The reason our world is in the shape that we are in, the reason our lives are in the shape that they are in, is because if we are not careful, we will put ourselves on the throne of our lives, and we will make ourselves our own God. Anytime we choose our way over God's way, up here, anytime we Choose our way over God's way. We make ourselves our own God. And let me express that with a little G, not a big G. We are fallen. We deify ourselves. Judges 21, 25 says, In those days there will be no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Folks, when we make ourselves God and become selfish, we lose sight of the love that God has for us. Our fellowship with Him, it becomes broken. And we believe that God's command today is to follow our heart and do what feels right. How many times do you have to hear somebody say, God is love. And He doesn't want to hurt anyone. That He is all accepting of whatever you want to do. However you want to act. We think that because popular opinion says... Sin is okay? We say, oh, it must be okay. No! It is not okay. And we also see that Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is desperately wicked above all things. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to destruction. Folks, humans are totally depraved. This does not mean, as I said, everyone's going to commit a heinous crime. But what it means is even those that do good works, the glory is not for God. The glory is for themselves. Folks, mark this down. Some of your greatest regrets have been or will be the times you thought you knew more than your parents, than your teachers, than your coaches, than your authorities, than your pastors. The authorities that God has put in your life, when you think that you know better than they do, you will act on things and make scars instead of memories. Not only have we deified ourselves, but by deifying ourselves, making ourselves a God, we have degraded God. God is not, but let me be sure to say this, God is not degraded, God is God. But our understanding of Him, we have degraded it to the point to where we have lost the love or the understanding that God is a loving God. Everybody's cool with that. We can preach God loves you. Woo! But we leave out the fact that God hates sin. Jesus Himself said that I don't want you to be lukewarm. If you try to have sin in your life, and try to be a Christian, it makes me sick to my stomach to where I want to, you know what? To admit that God hates sin would mean that we would have to admit that we are sinners. 
and that we'd have to change our lifestyle. But just as God does, we need to be the same way. We need to hate the sin but love the sinner. God is holy and He cannot tolerate sin. And He hates sin, but He loved us so much. He had to play by His same rules. He hated sin, so he, to, for Him to be reunited with us, for us to have a relationship with Him, He had to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to be a payment for that sin. As I tell people all the time, when you think of the crucifixion, where it went dark and, and the earthquake happened, that is when many scholars believe that God turned His back on His only Son because your sin and my sin was imputed, was placed upon Him at that moment. And God could not look at His own Son with sin because He cannot stand sin. So if God cannot look at His Son Jesus with sin in His life, what makes you think He can look at you and I when we have sin in ours? He can't. He won't. But He loves us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. The second thing we see is that when we are overwhelmed by evil, God is getting our attention. Every parent in this room, I'm sure, has an attention getter in their house for their children. It might be a look, it might be a paddle, it might be a hick, I don't know what it is, but, but you have got a way to look or to get your children to know that you mean business. An attention getter, right? Well, what I want you to see that when you first disciplined your child, I'm sure it was not pleasant for the child. My parents used to say, well, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I'm like, yeah, right. I'm the one with the whelps on my leg. But you know what? I can't imagine being a father and a mother having to discipline, because I know that parents and loved ones do not enjoy that. They don't sit around and think, boy, I can't wait till I whip my kid again. I'm sure that many parents have disciplined their child, and when the child walks away, they go into their own room and cry. God gets our attention. These things that are happening in this evil world today, God is getting our attention. What we call evil from our viewpoint is God's loving discipline. Folks, we... The disaster that God is talking about here in this passage. Let's read verses 3 through 5. It says, Therefore the Lord says, I am now planning a disaster against this nation. You cannot free your necks from it. Then you will not walk away so proudly because it will be an evil time. In that day, one will take up a taunt against you and lament mournfully, saying, We are totally ruined. He measures out the allotted land of my people how he removes it from me. He allots our fields to traitors. Therefore, there will be no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by casting lots. The coming disaster he's talking about is when the Assyrians take over the Israelites. This passage is a prophetic passage talking specifically to the Israelites who have rejected and turned their back upon God, much like our nation has done today. Like Israel... When things are going well, we are tempted to be self-sufficient and focused on our selfish pride. For example, after our nation, after World War II, our nation was filled with pride and we said that we would lead the world to peace. We said that our dollar would save all the problems of the world. How is that working out for us? 
American diplomacy is failing. Our country is imploding under the weight of its own pride and denial. How have we come to this place? J. Vernon McGee puts it this way. He says, when a man is not right with God, he cannot be right with his fellow man. Why is our world in such a mess? Why are we overwhelmed but with evil? It's because people are not right with God. What is the answer to this? The love and judgment of God. Listen, our culture has gone way out of its way to push God out of everything. So why are we surprised when His discipline shows up? Why are we surprised? Is it unfortunate? Absolutely. But you remember, I mean, most of you raised kids, you, you had, you've been responsible for people, you've had to discipline the people before. Why do you discipline them? Because you love them. God does not enjoy sending calamity among His people. But when we get full of ourselves and we think that we've got this and that we are our own gods, when we have deified ourselves above God in our lives, He reminds us that He is still God. Folks, what we see on TV, what happens in our world today will not get better by a Democrat or a Republican or a preacher or a church or or any one person. It's going to be by every individual person of God standing up returning to God and making Him the priority of their life. Quit deifying, raising up themselves, and remember that it's not about us. It's about Him. Folks, don't get me wrong. I am grateful to be an American. I love this country. I pray for it and its leaders. I pay my taxes. I follow her laws. And it breaks my heart to see it falter under the overwhelming power of evil. The third thing we see in verses 6 to 11, let's read this. And this is, it's like it's right out of the paper, folks. Verses 6 to 11 says, Quit your preaching, they preach. They should not preach these things. Shame will not overtake us. House of Jacob, should it be asked, Is the Spirit of the Lord impatient? Are the things He does? Don't my words bring good to the one who walks uprightly? But recently, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the splendid robe from those who are passing through confidently, like those returning from war. You force the women of my people out of their comfortable homes, and you take my blessings from their children forever. Get up and leave, for this is not your place of rest, because defilement brings destruction. Defilement brings destruction. When we disobey God, when we look in God's face and say, you are not enough and you are not welcome here, that defilement is what is bringing destruction upon our world. Why why are we overrun with evil? It's because people will not turn and repent to God. Verse 10 says, get up and leave, for this is not your place of rest, because defilement brings destruction, a grievous destruction. If a man of wind, and if you've got your Bible and you like to underline stuff, underline man of wind. If, you, if a man of wind comes and invents lies, I will preach to you about the wine and the beer. He would be just the preacher for this people. 
What is he saying here? The Israelites, their preachers, and their prophets have all strayed away from the Word of God. God ceased to speak to His people through prophecy at this point because they weren't they didn't want to hear it anyway. Why do you think God doesn't say as much, doesn't do as much today? Because people just don't want to hear it. That's the world we live in. In verse 8, he talks about his people, the Israelites, become God's enemy because of their sin. They had become so corrupt that they were taking clothes right off the people's backs, leaving them with nothing. So the question is, how can people loot and steal and take advantage of others? How can this be? How, how is it that we look? I mean, I've been to Baltimore before. Some of the streets that they showed, some of the buildings they showed. I've been there. I've walked there. A, a, a youth group and myself, we did a mission trip in the middle of Baltimore. And in those same streets to see something that looks like something that's happening overseas. How can that happen? When people have a disregard for His Word, they will disregard others. You hear that? When people, disre- when, when people look at this and say, this was written long ago, it doesn't apply today. When they say, uh, we don't need this, all bets are off. Verses 10-11, through 11, the Israelites were trying to have peace apart from God. How arrogant and misguided of them. How can we think today that we can have peace in this world apart from God? And the popular preachers of that day would preach what people wanted to hear, not what they needed to hear. When it says man of wind, it was one who preached that the God of all love will approve your sins. Does that not sound like the message of today? The God of all love. You just come to God as you are. And you continue in your sin, He's going to love you anyway. No. Someone says that, they're a man of wind. But in today, people do not want to hear today that their sin is wrong. It's an absolute slap in the face. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. Basically, back then, the, the false prophets would preach that there was no need to adhere to God's Word. I can't tell you how many people that have told me when it comes to issues like homosexuality or drinking or stealing or whatever it might be, they'll say, well, that was in the Old Testament. We don't, need to, we don't live by the Old Testament anymore. Jesus came to abolish all that, so we just love Jesus and everything is all right. Folks, I've got to tell you, every one of those sins Jesus addressed or Paul addressed in the New Testament. We cannot say, because the Israelites back then were saying, oh, that was the Ten Commandments. We've moved beyond that. Folks, when we disregard God's Word, destruction will follow. And then finally, we see that even though you are overwhelmed by evil, God remembers the faithful. Verses 12 and 13, we see, He says, I will indeed gather all of you, Jacob, I will collect the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like the sheep in a pen, like a flock in the middle of its fold. It will be noisy with people. One who breaks open the way will advance before them. 
They will break out, pass through the gate, and leave by it. And I love, love the last sentence. Their king will pass through before them as Lord, the Lord of their leader. What we see in the Old Testament is what we see today. As wicked and as vile as the Israelites had become, there was always a remnant. Something, so a, a, a second chance. Uh, the, the, the most popular uh, illustration of a remnant would be Noah. The whole world was destroyed, but yet God remained the faithful few to continue to do His work. God gave the Israelites hope. I want to show you a picture. This is what they call a desert rose. In the middle of the desert, you'll see these flowers growing. In the midst of of a dry and weary land, you can find something as beautiful as a desert rose. My friend, I want to tell you something. Your life might feel dry. You might feel overwhelmed. Maybe we got a lot of good people here, okay? Come on. Got a lot of good church folk here. But you can still be overwhelmed by evil. There are days when you feel like that desert rose, where you are the only thing out in the middle of a dry land. Folks, listen to God and His Word. Listen to the prophet Micah when he says, God will always have a remnant. God will always remember the faithful. God gave the Israelites hope. What was the hope we see in these passages in the last two verses? He says, the king is coming. Listen, today, I want you to know, Jesus Christ is coming back. And God shows mercy to those that are overwhelmed by evil. If you notice, the prophet Micah says that God calls the wayward Israelites first by the name Jacob. What was significant of that? It's because... Jacob had his name changed to Israel. Jacob, the reason the name was changed from Jacob to Israel is because his character changed. He was once a deceiver and a shifty person, and he was now a person of God. We live in an evil world that is turning their back on God. And the further we stray from God, the worse it's going to get. But if you are a Christian today, I want you to understand, there has never been, as the days grow darker, believers can shine brighter. Amen? If we will just choose to do so, as the days get darker, we can shine brighter. You must be salt and light. How do we fight evil? We fight evil with good. We fight evil with the love of God. And we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone that we can. But if you are a non-Christian here today, if you choose your way over God's way this morning, you are going to have to climb over bloody Calvary to get to hell. God's desire is not that people go to hell. His desire is for you to accept Him. But if those people say no to Jesus Christ, and deny Him, they are climbing over the forgiveness and the blood that Jesus shed to go to hell to follow Satan. Where that hell was made for Satan and his followers. And if we don't follow God, we're following Him. And you will have to climb 
over the blood of Calvary to get there. Remember this. When evil becomes overwhelming, Satan is sinister, but God is sovereign. You do not have to be overwhelmed today. You can pray for God to come into your life to give you purpose. Quit magnifying yourself to become the God of your life and allow the true God, your Creator, your Maker, your Heavenly Father to be your God. You've been living life on your own. How's it got? How's, where's it brought you? Or if you are a Christian, I pray that you would hear this message and say, I have got to do more for the kingdom. I have got to fight evil with good. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for your word. And as we are overwhelmed with evil, you are still in control. And Lord, if there is someone here today that doesn't know you, as their Heavenly Father does not know you, if they do not know your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord, may they pray this morning the sinner's prayer to say that I am a sinner. I have put you in the back burner and I've put myself on the throne of my life. And today, I take myself off of that throne and I claim you, God. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. And I want to live for you. If that's you today, you can pray that prayer and you can be saved. Or maybe there's a Christian it just needs prayer at the altar, a rededication. Whatever your call may be, would you respond today? In your name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand for our invitation?